I got a Christmas text message this morning from an old friend, and in it, he described this year, 2020, as a train wreck. I wonder if that kind of resonates with you a little bit. If you were to describe 2020 in one word, what word would you come up with? Maybe take a moment to think, is there, is there one word that you think, yeah, that's what 2020 was like? Some words that I've heard have been uncertain. There's been so much uncertainty about this year. We, we don't know what's going to happen in the next week, sometimes the next month, the next few months. Another word that I've heard has been insecure. You know, some of those things that we thought were so secure now just really aren't so much. But you know, one of the words that really seems to come up most often when I hear people talking about 2020 is exhausting. And I wonder if that kind of resonates with you as you think about the year and particularly as you get to the end of the year. You know, it's just, you know, we come to Christmas and we are exhausted. Some of us are physically exhausted. Many of us are emotionally and mentally exhausted. And so we come to a time of, of celebration and rejoicing, but we are weary. And as I think about that, you know, rejoicing but weary, it reminds me of a line in A Christmas Carol that we're going to sing a little bit later on called, O Holy Night. And the line goes like this. It says that at Christmas, a weary world rejoices. A weary world rejoices. And I think, man, that really sounds like it sums up Christmas, doesn't it? You know, we're meant to be rejoicing, but we are weary. So I think we've got the weary part down pretty well. But what about the rejoicing? What is it that you are rejoicing about this Christmas? Maybe you're rejoicing that we can still have some kind of a Christmas party. I guess it's probably not what we're expecting and many people have had to change their plans, but it is great that we still are able to meet together in some number and celebrate together. Kids, I wonder if you're rejoicing about something else right now. Presents that you got this morning. What's that? Yeah, okay. The kids and Kathleen. <laughs> you know, I was looking forward to rejoicing in being out of sing carols, but obviously we can't do that. And I wonder if you're maybe even finding yourself thinking, I'm really not sure what I'm rejoicing in because Christmas is so different from what I was expecting and I'm struggling to find something to, to rejoice about. You know, Christmas is meant to be a time for rejoicing. Rejoicing is a consistent theme in the Christmas message in the Bible. You know, the angels announced a message of, of great joy. And the shepherds, when they went and found the baby, they rejoiced and they couldn't stop celebrating and telling people about it. And the wise men, we just read then, when they saw the star that led them to Jesus, they were overjoyed. Christmas is meant to be a time of joy and rejoicing. So what we're going to do this Christmas is we're going to follow the story of the wise men, kind of like they followed the star, and we're going to see what it was that they were rejoicing about so that hopefully we also can rejoice along with them. Because, you know, whatever year it has been for you, however weary we might be, Christmas does actually give us something worth rejoicing, not just for Christmas but for all of life. You know, I know the story of the wise men is a fairly familiar part of the Christmas story for most of us, right? You know, we're used to seeing wise men as part of a nativity scene. Who's got a nativity scene at home somewhere? 
Yeah, maybe under your Christmas tree or around somewhere you've got the, the wise men. We do, we've got a couple, I think. You've got the wise men gathered around the baby Jesus and Mary and the shepherds and some animals. Although later in this chapter, we discover that the wise men could have arrived as much as two years after Jesus was born. So if you do have a nativity scene, maybe you should take the wise men and just move them back around the corner a bit because they're going to be a while. Now, we're used to seeing the wise men at Christmas, but today we're going to take a bit of a closer look. It turns out that the Bible doesn't actually call them wise men. It calls them magi from the east. Now, magi were an interesting mix of scientist, priest, scholar, and politician kind of all rolled into one. These magi, they studied the stars, they studied the ancient religious writings of the Middle East, including, it seems, parts of the Old Testament. And now their studies have brought them to Jerusalem. These wise men from the East had heard the ancient promises about a king who would be sent from God. Promises that were hundreds of years old, as we've already heard, even thousands, some of them. Promises that God had made through his prophets. And so these magi, they turn up in Jerusalem on the doorstep of King Herod and they ask a question. Their question is, where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not sure that's the wisest question for these wise men to ask of King Herod. Because, you know, King Herod was pretty sure that he was the king of the Jews. And he had done everything he could to get that title. He'd worked hard and he wasn't going to give it up easily. But for the time being, he's going to play along. So King Herod calls in his religious experts and he asks them that question. And they knew these ancient promises as well. And in fact, they quote from the exact prophecy that we read just a moment ago from Micah chapter 5. Micah's prophecy tells us, as we heard, where this king would be born, in Bethlehem. But I want to have a look at what else Micah says about this king. In verse 6 of, of that chapter, he says, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Through Micah, God promises a ruler who will shepherd his people. You know, here in Australia, we have pretty different ideas of shepherding compared to what they used to do in ancient Israel and still in doing in, in some parts of the Middle East. You know, we use, as you can see, motorbikes and dogs and horses and quad bikes and sometimes even helicopters to round up thousands of sheep. I say we, I mean, I've never done it, but I'm sure some people do it pretty well. But in Israel, the shepherds looked after a small flock of sheep, kind of like pets, and he would lead them to good grass and they would follow him. And he would guard them and protect them against the attacks of wild animals. And so, so the wolf or the lamb would come to attack and the shepherd would stand and defend. Well, a good shepherd would, anyway. And God had promised a ruler who would shepherd his people with the strength of God. And with that kind of strength, there is nothing that he cannot defend them from. The, the wolves and the lions of this world cannot stand against this shepherd king. He will protect his sheep 
against any and every enemy. And because he shepherds his people so well, have a look at the last line that we read from Micah. It says, And he will be their peace. This shepherd king will do such a good job of caring for his sheep that he will bring peace. Now that's not just talking about, say, an end to war, although it includes that. This peace is so much bigger, so much better. That first prophecy that we read from Isaiah chapter 11 paints really a beautiful picture of this kind of peace. A peace so profound that the wolf and the lamb will actually live together like playmates. Now, I'm no expert, but I'm pretty sure that wolves and lambs don't normally get on that well, right? They're not normally friends. But God's not actually talking about animals when he says that. He's talking about people. That's the kind of peace that this king will bring, where enemies, like a wolf and a lamb, become friends. It's it's a beautiful image, isn't it? I mean, have a think about what that could look like. Where there was conflict... Now there is peace. Where there was pain, now there is healing. Where there was bitterness and loneliness, now there is joy. That's the peace that this promised king will bring. And that's who the wise men were looking for when they asked that not very wise question about the birth of this king of the Jews. And so when they went to Bethlehem and they saw the star and they found the baby, they were overjoyed and they worshipped him. Now they worshipped a baby. But were they right about what this baby would achieve? Would this shepherd king deliver on these promises, on the peace that was promised? After visiting the baby Jesus, the wise men actually exit out of the Christmas story, they return to their homeland and we don't hear from them again. But I like to imagine these wise men 30 years later, back in their home country, somewhere in the east, I imagine them hearing rumours about a man back in Israel where they had visited, about how everywhere this man went, disease and sickness just disappeared. If there'd been COVID there, it would have disappeared wherever he went. It's like the reverse of a super spreader about the storm, fierce and terrifying, that stopped when this man spoke just a word. About the two men on the shore of Lake Galilee who were so violent that no one could come near them because these men were in the grip of evil spiritual forces and everyone around them was terrified. But this man, Jesus, simply said, go, and those evil forces left them. And those two men were now calm and in their right mind and at peace. And these stories about this man just kept multiplying. Everywhere he went, there were, I guess you could say, glimmers of peace all around him. Kind of like the first glimmers of light before a new dawn. And maybe these wise men even heard about how this man defeated death. Because, I mean, yes, he healed the sick and he calmed the storms and he banished evil, but death is the last great enemy always. From the greatest of us to the least, 
death comes for everyone. I guess you could say that death is the wolf that always gets the sheep. No shepherd can defeat that enemy. Except that this man did. Jesus gave himself into the jaws of death for our sake. But death could not hold him. And now all who trust and follow this shepherd do not need to fear, even death, because he has defeated death once and for all. And now Jesus has promised eternal life and peace with God for all who follow him. And that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Sounds like something worth rejoicing about. So I guess my question is, are you going to rejoice like those wise men did this Christmas? Let me read verses 10 and 11 again. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They were overjoyed because they found Jesus. And this is where the real joy of Christmas comes from, from finding this good shepherd who brings peace and worshipping him, trusting him, following him. Because, you know, it's not just this year that our world is weary. Yes, we have faced some particular challenges this year because of COVID, but every year our world cries out for peace, where enemies can become friends, whether it's enemies across the world or enemies across the dinner table at a Christmas party because we can't get on. Every year our world cries out for an end to sickness and disease and death. Every year we long for something to rejoice in that's not going to end when the tinsel and the fairy lights are packed back in the box for next year. And that's what Jesus promises. And he calls us to trust him. That Christmas carol that we're going to hear in a moment, O Holy Night, let me read the lines that, that we're going to hear. It says this, A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious dawn. 2,000 years ago, Jesus showed us glimmers of that new and glorious dawn, like the first rays of light before a new day. On that new day, Jesus will bring perfect, eternal life and peace with God forever. That's something worth rejoicing about. The wise men rejoiced, the angels and the shepherds rejoiced, and our weary world is invited to rejoice in that too. You are invited to rejoice in that too. Not just at Christmas, but every day. So when the tinsel is packed away and you've had your fill of Christmas ham, will you have something to keep rejoicing in because you worship this shepherd king, Jesus, and because you are looking forward to the dawning of that new day. I'm going to pray that we will. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we do feel particularly acutely this year that our world is weary. We are weary from so much of what has gone on this year, COVID in particular, but for many of us, other things as well. But we are conscious, Father, that there are some things about this year that are wearisome that are always around us. 
And so we look forward to something better. And so, Father, we do ask that today, this Christmas, and even ongoing, you will help us to rejoice in the fact that you sent your great shepherd king, Jesus, to bring peace. Thank you that he has won that peace by his blood shed on the cross for us and by his resurrection to new life. And, Father, we ask that we will learn to rejoice in that. For those of us who already trust in Jesus, Father, help us to look to that today and rejoice in that all the more. And Father, for those of us who are still thinking about Jesus, we ask that you will help them to consider Jesus today, to know this great shepherd king, Jesus, who gave his life for his sheep so that we can live at peace with him. And we pray these things in his glorious name. Amen.